Church, the scripture reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that, this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is God's word. Amen. All right, who wants to preach this one for me? It's a little tangly. It's, it's actually very tangly. A lot of the illusions we don't understand. We're going to get into all of that. Um, but let's, uh, before we get into the text this morning, let's just uh, kind of assume the position of faith, which is uh, what we've been doing often at the beginning of our, our sermons as we get into God's Word. Uh, and if you're able, if you're willing, uh, would you kneel with me? What might uh, matter most in terms of receptivity to uh, the scriptures and to what God has for you this morning, what might matter most is the uh, position, the posture of your mind and your heart this morning uh, as one saying, Lord, I submit to you and I receive from you the posture of faith, uh, God, what you have for me. So uh, let's, let's come before him in prayer. I, I'm going to guide us through this time of talking to our God together silently. Father, as we kneel before you, first, uh, we just want to praise you and declare that you are king, you are God, and we are not. So, God, we come before you now in praise and thanksgiving for who you are and all you've done in our lives, even this past week. Let's talk to our Father, who is our king right now. Father, as you are king, sometimes it confuses us even as we look around our world 
and it looks like all the foundations are shaking. So each of us as your church now, we just come before you to pray for our world, which is your world, where you are king, praying for the conflict in the Middle East, praying for those in Maine who have lost lives, praying for families in Mexico who have been shattered by natural disaster, praying for those in Ukraine. God, we, we come before you now as your people, recognizing you are king, and talk to you about your world right now. Father, as your people right here in Silver Spring and the surrounding areas, this whole northern side of D.C., God, we just, uh, we also want to talk to you about the different possibilities for a building, and we just pray that you would open up the right one and provide the right way forward with one of these buildings or a different building. God, we just lay it all before you now, uh, ask that you would work in a mighty way, you'd open up the right doors, close the right doors, and you would guide us forward by your provision giving us clarity of next steps forward. And lastly, Father, we come before you right now, right here, each of us kneeling in these pews, uh, and we ask that you would meet us. You would meet us as individuals who are desiring to know you more, to follow you, to live our lives for you, and you would meet us as a body together who wants to serve you and glorify you and enjoy you here for your good purposes. God, would you open our minds and our hearts, God? Talk to him now and ask him to meet you in this time. Father, you are king over your creation. You are king of the world. It looks like a lot is shaking right now and that is even more reason for us to kneel before you and say we trust you we know you are sovereign we know you are working your purposes for your redemption to bring about your new creation and we know one day you will return and make all things new there will be no more war there will be no more death there will be no more tears we can't wait till you come back god we long for that day. Would you help us to be a, a church that would bring foretaste of that kingdom to come in the kingdom now as we live for and under your reign, God? And God, we come to you for our church right here, right in Silver Spring, that you would provide just the right space for us. If it's one of these places, God, would you give it to us? If it's something different, would you give us patience? God, we trust you. We know you're good. We know you're sovereign. Would you sink our roots deep in this place that we could proclaim the gospel, we could uh, plant churches, we could live as your people and preach the good news of the gospel where it so desperately needs to be shared. 
And lastly, Father, we pray that you would meet each of us right now, that you would transform us by your words, that your spirit would get into our minds and reshape the way we think, that he would get into our hearts and reshape the things we long for and our affections. He would get into our hands and feet and change the way we live. And God, we're so grateful that it's all by grace through faith. That you embrace us, you love us, that we're your sons and daughters, your family right now. That there's nothing we could do to make you love us more. Nothing we could do that would make you love us less. That we're blameless and pure in Christ. God, transform us by your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm entering new territory. Uh, Our oldest is a senior in high school. And so we've survived uh, at least this far. And he is writing college essays now. He's writing college essays. And so this is a new practice uh, for me, for him, for all of us. And and so there's, uh, I didn't know how many college essays there are to write. Uh, they simplified it a little bit with the Common App, so you've got that, which is nice. But then every school's got a list of like 75 essays you have to write. It's a little less than that. <laughs> uh, some of them are three-liners, some of them are a little more robust, and, uh, and so uh, he's writing all these, and then I'm helping him edit them and rewrite them and all that kind of stuff, and and there was this one, he only had three sentences to answer this one, uh, but it, it asked him... Uh, what is a goal in your life? What's a goal you have for yourself in your life? I loved his answer. Uh, his answer was, I want to be a better me tomorrow than I am today. I thought that was pretty cool. That's a good answer. And, and I think, probably if you're like me, uh, that resonates with all of us. I want to be a better tomorrow than I am today. I want to be a better me, right? Like, I want to sin less. I want to love more. I want to think more correctly. I want to have the right affections. I want to be a better me tomorrow than I am today. In Christian language, we would say, you know, we are in Christ, but now what I long for is more of Christ into me. I want to live more like Him. Love people the way he loved people. Think the way he thought. I want to be a better me. But here's the problem. We, we all kind of want that, but we're probably going about it just like the world goes about it. All wrong. <laughs> and see, this is a pivot point in the book in Galatians where Paul is writing these churches in Galatia. And, and he's talked all about this idea of justification by grace through faith. That it's this free gift that we, we pray and receive what God has done for us in Christ. We're made sons and daughters. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. We're saved, right? And we, we look by faith. We receive what Christ has done. And then he says, come on in. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're justified, declared righteous before God. And then here's what we do. We do what everybody else does. Now, I'm going to get after it. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Try a bit harder to become a better me. Get more educated, see the right counselor, read the right books, do the right stuff. I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to get after it. So we all long for this idea. We want this idea of being a better me, living more Christ-like, but we're going about it all wrong. 
we're not accessing the power of the good news of the gospel, the power of the Spirit in our lives to live transformed lives. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, Paul, Paul lays the foundation for this kind of new way to be transformed by the grace of the gospel. And he lays the foundation in these three really confusing paragraphs. <laughs> So what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of lift a main point from each paragraph, a main verse, and, and then say, okay, uh, how, did, how is this kind of new way of transformation in the gospel by grace through faith, how, how does it occur uh, in a nuts and boltsy kind of way on the back end of three principles out of these paragraphs? Uh, so in sum, the three paragraphs can be thought of like this. By grace through faith, we've been saved. We're now His people. We're sons and daughters, right? We're welcomed in, forgiven, justified, declared righteous. And we rejoice. We say, whoa, man, it's so free to be a Christian. That's amazing. I can't believe after all the stuff I did, all the stuff I don't do, all the things I think, all that I am, all the messiness in my life, that He just welcomes me in by grace through faith. I can't believe it. It's just a free gift. By grace through faith we're saved, but then in some, here's what these three paragraphs and the rest of the book we're going to proclaim, by grace through faith we are also sanctified. By grace through faith we are saved and sanctified. Now sanctified is kind of a big Christianese word, and here's all it means. Becoming more Christ-like. Uh, we have been uh, put into Christ. We are in Christ because uh, He has uh, rescued us, saved us. He's opened our eyes. We've, we've received the gift of Christ freely. And, and now we are sanctified. More of Christ is put into us. We, we live more righteous lives, more in line with who Jesus is, more like Jesus, also by grace through faith. That's a radical different way to think about life transformation, by the way. And we're going to get into that and the nuts and bolts of these Three paragraphs, which are very tangly, and then we'll talk about how, what's this actually look like in my life. All right. By grace through faith, you are saved. By grace through faith, you are sanctified. All right. First, uh, first paragraph. By believing the good news. We are transformed by believing, by hearing the good news, and by believing the good news. I'm just going to talk through all the tangles, and, and, but keep that one main idea in your mind. Oh, foolish Galatians. That's, <laughs> I think I'm going to start some sermons like that in the future. Oh, you fools. <laughs> I know Paul is also thinking the same about himself over and over in his life because he talks about it all in Romans and 2 Corinthians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's pulled the wool over your eyes? Uh, who has uh, convinced you to add something to the gospel? Who has convinced you to try a different system for your sanctification? Who's, who's uh, completely fooled you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, don't you know that this is all by grace through faith, that he was uh, publicly portrayed? We, we talked about it. We preached about it. Maybe even some of you saw it. He was crucified in your place. It's by grace uh, through faith you have been saved. Don't you know it's, it's said, done, and finished? Let me ask you only this. 
Did you receive the spirit of works by the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected by faith? Did you suffer so many things in vain? And indeed, if it was vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you work miracles among you so that by works of the law or by hearing by faith? I love it. He says, let me ask you only this. (laughs) It's like when your mom comes into the room and says, I just have one thing to say to you. And then like 35 minutes later. Paul says, let me ask you only this. I think the the easiest to understand question here, and they're all circling around the same idea, is this. Are you so foolish? Again, he highlights the idea, man, you've been duped. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? All the questions revolve around that same idea, which is this. If you started by grace through faith, if, if this relationship with the living God and relationship with each other, all of us different people, if, if it started by grace through faith, it was a, if it was a free gift, something God did for you, not something you did for Him, why then are you going to this new system of you doing, you making yourself better, you working to justify, to sanctify, to improve yourself? If you started this way, why are you now shifting to that way? Did you suffer these things in vain, he says? Man, was it all for loss? Like that you went through the hardship you went through to become a Christian, that all these things changed in your life, and now you're going back to this old system of legalism, adding laws, doing better to make yourself better? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or here by faith? Is he doing amazing things in your life and in your church because you're awesome and you're doing great or because he's gracious and is working miraculous things in you and your life by the power of the Spirit? And then he ends with this allusion uh, to answer all this slew of questions, the only question he was going to ask them. And he says, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. It's an allusion back to Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 6, where God lays out this promise. God lays out this covenant, this promise to Abraham. He, he makes this pagan guy who is, uh, uh, lives in Babylon, like the center of paganism, right? And, and he, he gives him this promise. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a seed, a descendants, and I'm going to give you blessing. You're going to bless all nations. He gives this promise in chapter 12 and chapter 15 and chapter 17 and and all through Genesis. It's repeated all through the Old Testament and then uh, it takes in its fullest meaning in the New Testament as we'll see here in other places. And what happens, uh, Abraham is told to move, to to change his land, to go to a different place. He's told to trust God for offspring. Uh, He's told to trust God that God would bless him, that he could bless others. And here's all Abraham does. Okay. By faith, it says, he believes God, and then God credits that to him as righteousness. He says, it doesn't look like I can have kids, but I trust you, God. You've made this specific promise in my life. I trust you'll do it. It doesn't look like I should uproot my family and go to this other land which is occupied by others, but I trust you that you would do it. It doesn't look like I could be blessed in this kind of way, but I trust you that you might be a blessing, that I'd be a blessing to all nations, the whole world. He just believes simply. 
It's, it's interesting through his whole life, he's not going to change that system, right? This is a belief thing, right? It's, it's not anything he did to earn this place. He had no uh, right to earn this place. God just steps in and says, I'm going to bless you like crazy. He makes a covenant, a promise he's going to keep with him. It's, it's just so wild in chapter 15, right, where this happens, right? Uh, uh, God solidifies this covenant. I won't go through all the ritual of it, but there's these dead animals lying on the ground, cut up and slaughtered. And then uh, the two covenant, those who are in this relational binding uh, agreement, are supposed to walk through the middle of these dead animals as if to say, if I don't keep the covenant, you can kill me, right? Both parties, both sides. And God knocks out Abraham. Knocks him out and God himself walks through the, the two sides of bloody animals as if to say, everything I've demanded of you, everything I uh, call into your life, I will provide. Even if you break covenant, I will keep covenant, even if it costs me my life. Now Abraham's going to live in the hope of God's promises and faithfulness and grace. Uh, even to the point where at one point he's going he's gonna to sacrifice the son that God gave him. Isaac, right? Goes up on this mountain. He's about to sacrifice his son, but God again shows his promise and provision. Everything in demands he supplies, and he, he supplies a ram in the place of his son. But then there are moments in Abraham's life where he doesn't believe, right? He enters a town and he thinks, oh man, this king's going to take my wife from me. I better lie, <laughs> What, that's a belief problem for Abraham, a trust problem. It's not a, a problem of doing right or wrong. At the very core, it's a belief problem that he's not trusting in the promises of his God for protection and blessing and offspring. And so he lies about his wife, says, my sister, and then goes into another town. Oh, it's my sister. He even passes that sin down to his own kids. They're lying about the same kinds of things. But deep at the root, it's a problem of unbelief. He doesn't believe that God would supply for him but and protect him but gosh god keeps doing it all through the story but paragraph one uh hones in on this idea it's it's all about hearing and believing trusting the god who makes the promise believing the good news it's like ephesians chapter 1 13 and 14 when you heard the good news of the gospel, having believed you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of the, until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. We hear the good news of the gospel, and then we realize and we say, oh my God, you've saved me through your son. And we come in and we believe. And then what this whole paragraph is saying, keep hearing, keep believing the good news of who God is and what he's promised and what he's done over and over again. Don't change systems. If you began in belief and receiving grace by faith, don't change systems. If you began that way like Abraham began, then don't change systems. I went and watched uh, Jillian play soccer last week. Uh, we've got soccer players, lacrosse players in our family, and, and so I went and... Uh, you know, her team's out there playing, and at halftime, you know, they'll huddle up, and when they're near the, the fence, sometimes parents will go down, I, I hate this, and they'll kind of call their player over, and they'll be like, either talking him up or kind of correcting him a little bit or that kind of thing. I kinda, if you're a parent who does that, please stop doing that. You know, just let your kid play the game. <laughs> now, imagine, right? It's halftime. I go down uh, to Jilly. She's playing 12-year-old soccer. They're all out there doing their best, and I say, Jilly, come on over. I brought the lacrosse pole. It's six feet long. It's titanium. 
And what you need to do is go out there and start crushing people with it, second half. You guys are down five goals? Just go out there, play lacrosse. It doesn't make any sense. If Julie were to run out there with a lacrosse pole in the middle of a soccer game, you'd say, no, 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 this is a soccer game. Like, you, you were welcomed in that first half of the game playing soccer. You don't switch over to lacrosse now. What Paul is saying, what God is saying is, it all began by grace through faith, trusting in our God who has made promises he will keep for us in Christ. Why would you go to a different system? It doesn't make sense. That will not lead to life transformation. What you need to do is be righteous and live by faith still. Which is to over and over again, when we see things in our life that don't align with who we want to be, when we see the sin, when we see the brokenness, is to over and over again believe and receive the gospel. Preach the good news of who Jesus is to ourselves, that we would be reminded that we are His sons, we are His daughters, we are pure, we are forgiven, we are righteous because of Christ, not because of what we do or don't do. That's the beginning of a deeper and greater transformation. All right, the next two are not going to take as long because uh, they're kind of a lot of the same ideas are captured from that first paragraph as we go into the next two. But uh, the first step into life transformation is uh, it is all by faith. It's by grace through faith, and, and it's first just remembering and preaching the good news of what we've heard and we know is true of us in Christ. Uh, the second is this we don't just have good news, we have a great family. Uh, verses 7 uh, to 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So uh, those of, who are of faith are the sons, the daughters, the family of Abraham. Uh, uh, God takes uh, Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, and he creates his, his people, the, the people of God. But then what we see is this is uh, an eternal promise with an eternal covenant, a, a land which will be uh, all eternal and when heaven comes to earth and everything is made new uh, descendants of uh, the people of faith as the scriptures put it here uh, God's family who are trusting in Christ now uh, and then uh, that we would be a blessing to all nations that that this isn't uh, based on ethnicity or rank or or finances or even morality but but this is based on the grace of who Jesus is and what he's done that we're all made family together we are transformed when we recognize we are embraced, not because we have earned it, but because God has gifted it to us. The Scriptures beforehand preached the good news uh, to and through Abraham. I love that. The Scriptures preached the personification of the Scriptures. Uh, that, that God and His Word can't be separated, right? What He says is true. What He says reveals Him. We know Him by what He says, right? The Scriptures preach, but also that the Scriptures are alive and active double-edged sword bringing good news and what's the good news of what's being said to abraham here all nations are going to be blessed uh, the, the the people of faith the family of god it's not just going to be a jewish thing it's going to be a jewish and a gentile and an everybody a white a black a, a, a this a that and up a down everybody in by grace through faith not earned but embraced by god and therefore embraced by one another uh, this is the kind of family we want to be a part of 
Uh, this is where we often wrestle when we see, oh man, I'm not living up to the standard. I'm not good enough to be here. Or I have to keep smiling to be a part of the church. No one can know about the sin and brokenness in my life. Well, you'll never transform by grace then. But if we can say, man, I am embraced by God. I'm His son, His daughter. I'm baptized in the family name. I am His and I am yours, right? By grace through faith. Like, like it's paid for, done. My sin is uh, uh, done away with. I'm blameless and pure. Then I can say, man, I'm a broken person. And you can be welcomed in even in your sin. And you can be transformed by the grace that you're embraced by God, embraced by us. And you'll see your life change. Cammie was four years old. And they're all out there, a few kiddos out there uh, doing sidewalk chalk right next to our Toyota Sienna. Uh, it was one of my favorite cars. We bought all of our cars used, love used cars. And uh, this one was nice. I mean, it was a silver Toyota Sienna. And the door opened itself. Back then, that was awesome. <laughs> and they're all out there playing. And, and then I go out there, they're doing sidewalk chalk. And then I, oh, then I see, oh man, there's... There's some sidewalk chalk on the doors of the Sienna. I'm like, that's not good. I'm like, Cam, did you do that? Did you put the sidewalk chalk on the doors of the Sienna? Yeah, you know, okay, okay, okay. Then I go around to the hood. The hood has Cammy carved in it in stone. Cammy, huge on the hood. I was not happy. I was not happy. Uh, so we talked it through. I did, I did kind of restrain my anger. And it, it turns out, you know, it's like she's a little one and she didn't understand. Like sidewalk chalk, stone, they're really different. But here's how that time ended. I hugged her because she's crying a little bit. I hugged her. I embraced her. Oh, you're my daughter. I love you so much. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> we sold that car. We sold the Toyota Sienna. Cammy was still carved in the hood. A good friend of mine goes, did the person you sell it to, was their name Cammy? <laughs> Who's going to buy a car with the name Cammy carved in the hood? Uh, we need to remember the gospel. It will lead to life transformation because it puts us, man, in this place of realizing how loved we are, the good news of the gospel. Let's, let's hear it. Let's receive it. Let's preach it to ourselves. Let's preach it to others. Let's remember we're not in by, by earning. We, we are God's sons and daughters by grace, and that's what we, we're reminded of. We're embraced. We're His. We're embraced by the family. We're not alone. That'll change your life. Now, the last uh, paragraph, it's another tangly one, but it paints a picture of our amazing Savior. We have good news, man. We've got a great family, and we have an amazing Savior. For all who rely on works of the law, they're under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You are cursed if you live by this idea of, I will be good enough in order to be loved by God or loved by others. Why are you cursed? Because if you try and keep the law to be justified or declared righteous by God or righteous by others and be embraced, 
And then what you see is you can't keep the whole law. You can't keep all the commandments. Uh, and you certainly can't keep the depth of the commandments, which is uh, do these all out of a motivation of love for God and love for others. Well, we're all condemned or cursed by the law. The law uh, is a spotlight which reveals all the sin in our life, not just the stuff I can see or you can see, but all the stuff deep down in the ways we think and the ways we uh, long for the wrong kinds of things. But as we are cursed, unable to keep the law and should not live by a system even after being saved or trying to keep the law for self-righteousness or embrace it's evident that no one is justified in the law. The righteous will live by faith. But the law is not of the faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us, how? From the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. Oh, what a Savior. What an amazing Savior. See, the law says, you and I, we can't do it. Don't, don't live by this system of trying to be able to do it, to be lovable to God and others. Uh, don't live that way. Uh, but it instead, see, you can't do it. See, we are sinful people through and through to the core and then realize He has taken our sin for us. He has become a curse for us, taking the condemnation of the law on Himself even though He is righteous, thoroughly, purely, from start to end, right. Righteous, pure, good, perfect. He is fully God and fully man. But He is cursed for us in our place. Why then that we, the righteous, shall live by faith? That we, the righteous, can live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? It means then that... that you know, becoming a Christian and then being transformed wasn't something of the past, right? This idea of, I believed in Jesus and now I will get after it in my own life to become a better person or to become a better Christian or ask myself, what would Jesus do and try and get better at it? But that, not, that our faith can't stay in the past of this, this, oh, an event of prayer or reception or even, uh, oh, this event of the cross in the past, but the righteous today shall live by faith, which is over and over to say, I, by faith, receive the good news of the gospel over and over again, who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I, by faith, receive over and over again that I am family with God and family with others by grace through faith. I, by faith, realize, oh, what an amazing Savior I have who lives in and lives through me. That will transform your life. It's a whole different system than the latter. Make yourself better, improve yourself, work harder, do more. It's a whole different system than the scale. Oh, I'll stack up all my good deeds to be good enough for God and good enough for others. It's a, even a whole different system than what would Jesus do of just trying to think, oh, what would he do and then try to do it? No, it's, it's wholly different. It is by grace through faith, trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done. We are therefore free. We're free. We're free. We're motivated by gratitude, not guilt any longer. We're motivated by His grace being poured out on us, not the grit in our lives. We're motivated by a love and the love of our faithful Savior. If you are worn out, if you feel guilty all the time, 
If you notice joylessness or even apathy, or you find yourself very judgmental, chances are you are not living in a transformative kind of way, trusting in, believing, receiving the gospel, trusting in, receiving the reality that you're embraced by God and embraced by others, trusting in, receiving the good news that you have an amazing Savior. Uh, What's this look like then as we turn towards closing out? Uh, Paul got into this passage uh, with this really great summation of what this looks like in his life. Uh, It's in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, Let me just unpack it because this is the tangibles of how do we play this out in our life. The first is to say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You can think of this as a salvation moment. This, uh, you heard the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. You received it. You realize, man, I'm not let in uh, because I've earned it or I'm good enough or, or I, I, uh, I could stack up enough good deeds and climb my way to God. But I received it because he was crucified in my place. He paid the wage for my sin. But not only when he climbed up on that cross did he pay my wage, but but his whole life walked the way there in absolute righteous and perfect obedience. Even to the point where uh, his father says, climb on that cross for the the wages of the sin of the world. And Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. So he's he's fully obedient all the way. So, So it's not just that you're forgiven, right? God's wrath is satisfied in the crucifixion of Christ. But you're absolutely blameless and pure. Your guilt is removed because of the righteousness of Christ, right? So this is, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The penalty paid for and his righteousness given, my guilt removed. Man, I can't believe he loves me that much, right? That's how it all began. But then look what Paul says next. And the life I now live, the life I now live, In the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when he says, man, I don't want to think those thoughts anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. Why do I keep doing this or that? The life he is now living and wants to be transformed more into the image and likeness of Christ. He keeps saying, oh, by faith, I remember who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And I believe it today. I I know I'm not alone. I'm embraced as his son. I'm a part of his family. I know I have an amazing Savior. That gets deep in the side of who we are and it will transform your whole life. Then we respond in the love of who our Savior is and what he's done by grace through faith. We live out a new life being transformed by the gospel, being transformed by our new family with God and each other, being transformed by our great Savior. Motivated by grace, not guilt. Yeah, getting after it, working hard, right? Like, uh, th- uh, this is not, uh, uh, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, but where we get stuck over and over again is saying, oh, I didn't do this. I have to do that. I have to do that. I have to do this in order to be good enough now for God and for others, for myself. 
And Jesus looks at her and says, man, I love you. He embraces us and transforms us. So what we need to do in our own lives is a simple process we'll walk through as we go to communion. Which is to say, where are you, man, where are you groaning in your own life over your own sin or your apathy or an area where you're like, man, that's not the best me, right? Like I'm gossiping, right? Or I'm lying or I'm apathetic or... I'm not the mom I want to be or the dad I want to be or the employee I want to be, right? Like, where are you seeing sin in your own life? But then dig a bit deeper. Because under that, like, if you are so anxious about your kid's future, it's because you need from your kids something to validate yourself. Or if you're so anxious about uh, how much money is in the bank account, because you need a security there from that money that only Savior can give you. If you find yourself gossiping over and over again, it's maybe because you need power and you need others to be crushed so that you can be above them. Or you need a validation for your shame and guilt, so you need others to be uh, below you so that you feel good about yourself. What's, what's the Savior beneath the action? And it's asking that why question over and over. Why do I do this or don't do this to get to what am I seeking and serving as the true savior of my life right there? You may think of Abraham when he lied about his wife. Like he was not trusting God to be his security, his provision, his protection, right? He could say, I'm going to lie less. I'm going to lie less. I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to breathe more. I'm going to go to this or that. I'm going to try harder. No. No, what's the false savior you are serving? And then you apply the bad news and the good news. You say the bad news is, man, that is a savior that will never satisfy. And actually, you are worthy of condemnation, you and I. (laughs) But, oh, man, do we have a great savior. That security you're seeking for in money, bad news, you'll never be secure. You'll never be secure. Actually, you're way more insecure than you think you are. Oh, but the great news, you have a mighty Savior who's offered security in Christ. You can, you can never understand how, how, how well you're held by Him and His grace. And then to remember your true identity. I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and we're family. That's the stuff that will transform your life. That's not doing more, trying more, being better. That's remembering and embracing the gospel, remembering and embracing your Savior, remembering and embracing your identity as family. So spend some time as you prepare for and take communion now, getting beneath the sin to the false Savior, clinging by faith to the true Savior, being transformed by His grace, that we might then walk out of here serving Him even more because of our love for Him. Serving Him, living for Him even more because of our gratitude towards Him. Uh, Sharing and confessing sin even more because we know it's paid for. Spend time with your Savior talking to Him intimately and deeply about the areas of your life you want to see Him transform. Then be reminded of His life, His death, His resurrection who you are and how he might transform you as you cling to him by grace through faith.
Take and eat when you're ready.